Welcome yet again to the Silicon Sasquatch podcast. I'm Spencer Tordoff. Joining me is Aaron Thayer, and we <laughs> are here at 1 a.m. after Saturday at PAX, and it's a wonder that we've survived as long as we have. Um, full disclosure, we're a bit inebriated, so for the younger viewers, just deal with it. Um, you'll have your time soon. Just ask your parents what that means. Yeah. And <laughs> you'll be fine. Uh, so, we had a pretty eventful day. What did, what did we do today, Spencer? What did we do? That's a wonderful question. And I don't fully know. I know that Nick disappeared on us very early. And we're trying not to be bitter about that. but But he did. We're looking for a new editor-in-chief. Actually, if you guys know anyone, um, we'll put up a Craigslist posting because Nick, I think, just is is no longer with us. He died. We, we poured one out for him later. We, we don't know where he is. Uh, so, so we started off the day. Um, ground Control has a presence, and they've, uh, they have a little classic arcade. So we, we played a few games there. Um, tried to get a ball bearing to get into a particular hole in a sheet of plywood because that is apparently a game <laughs> from from the 80s. Yeah, it was a the the nuclear simulator you're talking about, right? No, I was talking about the other thing, the uh oh. the climb like the Zeke's the mountain peak? climb. Yeah, Zeke's Peak. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And then there was also the nuclear simulator which explains like Fukushima and everything. <laughs> if, if you've ever been to Ground Control, you'll know the games that we would have played there. Um, they had a representation, Ground Control being the Portland Arcade, uh, that I'm used to being a native of the area, and they had a lot of their machines on loan. So you know, But it was cool to have the retro gaming um, aspect uh, represented in a whole convention full of flashy new things. Yeah, it was great to have them there. Um, we do apologize for the noise. Our Canadian friends are watching Battle Royale half a flight of stairs away from us. Um, so there was that. There was a, console a classic console free play. The thing to understand about PAX, and a lot of people don't get this, is that, yes, there's an expo hall. PAX is not really about the expo hall. It closes halfway through the show. And what there is left is there's a lot of tabletop, there's a lot of card games, there's a lot of just other stuff. And among those things is there's PC free play, there's console free play, current games, and there's classic console free play, which is anything like like from Atari 2600 through to you can play, you know. What, we, what I played anyway was uh, Typing of the Dead on the original Dreamcast because they had a, uh, they had a daily leaderboard. I was second, and that's just not quite enough to actually place. Uh, so, so yeah, we checked that out. Um, just, you know, chime in if you have anything. Um, I had to run home to get my recorder. And then we uh, checked out a couple indie games. The first of those was Contraption Maker. And personally, I was particularly excited about that. I... I grew up with the original The Incredible Machine, and it is 
like one of my favorite all-time games, even though it's not really necessarily a game. It's, you know, a toolkit where you put together really bizarre machines and then, you know, there's puzzles, but mostly you're just, you know. I think when I was a kid, I, I made a machine that like fed cats to crocodiles because I really didn't like cats or something. But yeah, it has that level of flexibility. And uh, the original, this um, well, a good portion at least of the original, the Incredible Machine team is working on uh, Contraption Maker, which is going to be a, it's on Steam right now. They have an alpha release. Uh, it's got Steam Workshop, so people can share their their contraptions and their parts and so forth. So I'm really excited. Personally, I'm really excited. We have an interview with um, with one of their staff, and that'll go up later, but. I'm really excited. Aaron, you had never heard of this game before today. We didn't actually sit down and play it. What do you think? Yeah, without without playing it, I, I guess I hesitate a little bit, but from listening to the description from, I believe it was Jeff we spoke with, with Contraption Maker, and um, surprisingly, before we started recording, I looked them up, and they're actually a team located in Eugene, which is where my alma mater, um, mater uh, University of Oregon is, so had no idea could have asked them that but hey you know what rookie mistake um uh the the element of the rube goldberg style of play uh, i didn't actually play the incredible machine like you had so it's all new to me it looked very very cool very uh beneficial for those who have that kind of investigative technical mind who like to play around adult legos maybe in some way or connects um, and the integration of the Steam Workshop, uh, Jeff talked a lot about that, how exciting it is. And we mentioned that, Spencer and I, uh, it's a good idea to have that long tail of content that's user-created and not having to rely on a team constantly pumping out DLC, which can take a long time. And, you know, it, it, it has a longevity if you allow the, the players to do their own thing. It's really true. I mean, there's Civilization and Team Fortress, among others, have had their live Skyrim. You you play Skyrim? Yeah, about three hundred hours. <laughs> right, and I mean that's extended by the fact that there's constantly new mods for you to try out that are available in a very easy way on uh, on the workshop. So it's a brilliant move for them. So um, very excited about that. Uh, we checked out a couple of things by the. Lake Washington Institute of uh, yeah Lake Washington Institute of Technology, um, their gaming program. Uh, they had a summer course actually, and uh, told their guys, hey, you know we're going to PAX in a couple months, make something cool. And what they came up with with was actually pretty cool. Uh, they had a submarine game where um, yeah holographic. Uh, in a in a manner of speaking, it was projected onto water, and that was actually really fun. I, I had a lot of fun playing with that. Very basic, but nevertheless, you know, a pretty entertaining concept and executed in a very interesting way. Um, and then they also had an Oculus Rift prototype, which was, you know, kind of a basic racer, like, get the fastest time that you can. Um, I had the fastest time until Aaron bugged it out and got like a three-second time that topped the leaderboard. <laughs> but, but I thought it was pretty cool. I, uh, what, did, what did you think of those two? Uh, to go back to it, the, the first game we played from them was one prototype name was Submerged, the submarine one, and it was holographic. 
So they had this tiny kiddie pool, uh, and it was a game I've never played before. I've never had that experience where it was projected in sort of this misty, ethereal, kind of uh, blurry image of submarines. You get to choose your submarine. They had, for the demo, racing wheels set up. So you would use to click paddles and different buttons to um, submerge, um, to emerge, I guess, from the water, to go forward and backwards and shoot your torpedoes at each other. So it was a two-player kind of uh, um, deathmatch sort of thing. And it just, looking, having this, this Xbox steering wheel in front of you and looking straight down, like having to peer over your wheel uh, and having these ghostly-looking ships and you trying to figure out these controls, it was hectic, but it was one of the more refreshing experiences I've had. And uh, one of the team members was talking to us that these games, including the plain one, which we'll kind of talk about in a second, were developed within just a couple of months before PAX. They, they're, they're student projects. They have no, from what, when we talk to them, they have no desire or yet interest in releasing them commercially, like even Steam, Greenlight stuff. They were built with Unity, I believe, both of them. Um, but these Institute of Technology students have a lot of passion for games. A lot of them are new to it, but they're doing things that I hadn't seen before. Uh, originally, they said they started with maybe Connect prototype, but using this projector to, to project onto water and still be within the confines through the geometry of that pool of water it, it felt more real than a lot of games I've ever played. It was like an alternate reality game, but tenfold. Yeah, it was, um, honestly, it was, it was one of the more compelling things that I've, I've played with just simply because it was, you know, semi-real. There was actually a pool of water that the submarines were in and, you know, the tester in me came out and tried to get the submarines outside of the pool of water. And no, they had actually coded that quite well. So I couldn't uh, do that. Uh, what about their little time trial racing uh, title. I mean, it was the first time I had handled an Oculus Rift, so that was pretty cool, but what about the game itself? Yeah, it was the shortest line for Oculus Rift on the, the floor, so that was that was a big allure. Uh, I didn't, they didn't have a name for it, really. Um, one of the developers that we talked to, same story as Submerged, no release plans, just a student project for PAX, but uh, I guess maybe I'll talk about kind of the Oculus Rift experience since, like you said before, it was a pretty basic racing uh, flagpole go through the the uh, markers type of game. But it was a proof of concept of the Oculus and having a small team be able to work within that before that, that headset, that technology comes out and having these newbies do it. So um, the Oculus, for those who haven't tried it, we got maybe like a three-minute or so play experience at most, so not very extensive. But you put it on. My initial thought was like, oh, this is kind of shitty because I hadn't actually adjusted to it my vision. Uh, I, I wear glasses, so I took those off at the recommendation of the play tester who said that you can wear glasses with them because there's enough room, but you'll kind of have a little bit of a, um, I guess, splitting of the image. So I took those off. It wasn't that blurry for me. But after about 10 seconds is when your vision acclimates to the Oculus. And you start, more than anything I've ever tried, gimmicky or not, have real 3D. Different than a 3D movie. You feel immersed in the world because you have peripheral vision. 
which is way different than just going to the theater, having those cheap-ass 3D glasses, and just watching something pop out at you just for the sake of shock value. So uh, their playing game, it was very simple with the joystick. You'd throttle forward. You had a couple buttons for, for the uh, acceleration. You'd go through the time trials, and after about like two minutes, I somehow had a three-second <laughs> clear time. <laughs> so I, I, I broke the game, and I succeeded. Uh, just like yesterday, I beat Nick at Dive Kick, so I'm having a really good PAX for gaming. Uh, but the Oculus, in just that short playtime, kind of sold me, and it was amazing to see a full proof of concept from these very uh, new developers, new coders and artists and designers in this technical program to, to make a game that actually proves, hey, this, this thing has value. I'm sure if we had gone to the Oculus Rift booth and waited for like two hours and played some of the AAA games, we'd get that experience. But this was a much more intimate, and we didn't have to have those, those amazing graphics to really see that. Absolutely. Um, and we didn't have to sit through the line, so that was nice too. Yeah. Um, my kind of big takeaway from it, uh, from the Oculus Rift, from playing with it, was not just the 3D. I mean, the 3D was nice, but wasn't the first thing I noticed. I mean, it took my eyes a little bit to figure out, oh, right, you actually have to focus on different things at different times because it's... That, that clicking you hear is me air-quoting uh, on this very sensitive microphone. Anyway, uh, but the, the, th the big thing for me was the fact that after a couple moments, I wasn't even really thinking about it. Like, there would be a turn coming up ahead for the uh, the gates. Again, I got second on this because I didn't bug the game, and Aaron is a charlatan. But I, like, I would just instinctively just look over towards what I was, um, you know, what my next target was. And it wasn't something I was thinking about. It wasn't like, oh, well, this is a game mechanic. It was just like, I want to know what's over there, so I'm going to look over there. And that's really compelling. Just the fact that it came that naturally to me that quickly. Absolutely. So really, uh, really curious about that. We may check out Oculus Rift tomorrow, but we're hoping to hit up uh, a number of indie uh, titles. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, following the Institute of Technology, we went to uh, the main line room. Line room this year is... Very interesting, at least for um, a relative veteran of PAX. This is my fifth PAX, and it's gotten a little more commercial every year. I mean, that's my perspective on it, but this year, there's a promotion between Microsoft, and I wish I was fucking joking, but uh, Mountain Dew and Doritos to... The Holy Trinity. <laughs> Really. <laughs> yeah, it would only be better if Call of Duty was was involved. <laughs> but um, so you collect points. You can bid points. Um, How? How do you? You collect points by scanning QR codes, which is already <laughs> the most unnatural thing imaginable. I already regret putting QR codes on the first run of our business cards or my business cards. Whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, so you collect codes and you can cash them in to bid on a new Xbox One before it comes out, except nobody's going to fucking win that. But you don't just collect them, Spencer. You, you earn experience points. It's not just collecting. Let's, let's make that clear. Just fucking kill me now. So the point is, 
there's this giant Mountain Dew kiosk, like Mountain Dew Xbox Doritos. There's lights going everywhere. There's projections of the logos going up on the walls constantly. And yet in the midst of all of this crass commercialism, there was something magical going on. And the something magical was Johann Sebastian Joust. Now, if you're not familiar, uh, J.S. Joust is a very curious PlayStation title. It requires the move. It requires at least four move controllers. And it is played without the benefit of a screen. And, I mean, I can't really spoil anything, but basically it's part musical chairs, part see if you can get the other person to move their controller fast enough to knock them out. But if you move too quickly, if the music is slow or not playing, then you'll be knocked out. And there's a whole betrayal mechanic. I mean, we were playing like 16-person team games. It was honestly uh, one, of the, one of the most magical things I've experienced because I guess on a very technical level, it's a video game. But it's really not. It's something you can't do in a closed space. You have to have a big open space. You have to have a number of people able to play. And it's it's really something. It's, it's, it's just not comparable to a video game on a lot of levels. So I was, I was really excited to play. I enjoyed playing it. Um, it, was, it was really fun to watch. Um, Aaron, I already know that you're incorrect, but what were your thoughts on this? Uh, I believe it's some form of interactive performance art. Oh, fuck you. You know, that term, I guess, could be thrown around and make it um, erudite sounding, but um, just watching. So in with the backdrop of the Doritos Mountain Dew banner up above the performers, I'll call them, and not just gamers, having the move controllers in their hands, there seemed to be this... <laughs> It seemed to be uh, almost two steps away from being the Star Wars kid movements. Like everybody out there kind of had this slow step with the handout. I, I felt like there were some Jedi reenactments going on. And that's not totally judgmental uh, because I would probably have looked really awkward out there. Spencer uh, was the one that went out there and was brave enough to do it. And I'm sure he'll tell us in a second. But um, just watching it from afar and taking pictures... Um, looking at the, the, the press information, so it's two to seven players with the move controller, and there were a lot more out there on the PAX floor, so I believe they had some kind of like special setup with three different teams. So like the move had three different colors, right? Yeah, I think it was, uh, I thought it was 16 at the time, but it was probably 12 players yeah. uh, at a time. Yeah, it was like team purple, yellow, and, and green or blue, whatever. So just... What was most interesting to me is how long it took to kind of acclimate myself to see what was going on, because this isn't a traditional game where there's a screen with a bunch of UI prompts telling you, hey, here's score points, or here's your next objective on the compass. It was watching people, real people, play with each other with a peripheral, the move controller in their hands, and looking at the cues on the color of the, uh, the move ball and the music. So everybody in their own sense, were kind of their own UI aspect and had to use their senses and not just their, their Twitch gaming skills. So that's why I, I'm calling it performance art. Okay, I guess I can call that reasonable. Um, 
really my big takeaway from it was that I I have known of a group doing um, just playing joust on the regular here in Seattle, and clearly I need to be getting there because it's a lot of like initially I was just like what is it I don't understand and now that I know what it is I I really want to play more of it 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 seems like a lot of fun. Um, from there, we went and we checked out uh, Super Giant's latest game, Transistor. That was already going to be a day one purchase for me, but uh, I mean, we both we saw the demo like three times in line, and then went and played it, and I was still so excited about it, like. I'm I'm still stoked about it. Like I'm really very excited for it to come out. I will I will pay them double if I get a copy of the soundtrack with the game. It's it's looking really really good. Yeah, they uh, like Spencer was saying. We watched the presentation several times on our way waiting in line to play it. I feel as if Supergiant took all the lessons they had from Bastion, um, the hand drawn art style the colorfulness, the the narration aspect, which in this case is not just some uh, detached narrator talking mostly to you, the player. It's the sword that the character Red has talking to Red being you, the player. A little bit different, but same idea in some ways. Um, the hand-drawn graphic style seems cranked up a little bit to me. It's a lot more clean, super high resolution. It's supposed to be a P, uh, PS4, exclusive to PS4 on the consoles, but a Steam title, correct? Yeah. 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 Uh, I, the, the way they're presenting it anyway is a simultaneous uh, Steam PS4 release, which I couldn't be happier with that because you know, I don't want the PC to be left out. Yeah, and you know they i'm assuming due to easiness of the the pax presentation they had us playing on playstation 4 controllers which uh nick and i tried yesterday too so i'll have other thoughts on the controller once we get to play with the xbox one which we didn't today because by the time we went by the line was closed so um but with transistor I think it's a really ballsy move for them to have the combat style too where bastion was pretty much a common uh, understandable system where you had combos, different weapons, fast pace, just kind of in some way button mashing. If you really wanted to, you weren't nuanced about it. You could, could still get through the game with just picking a few guns, upgrading them, and, and killing things. This one, you have different power attacks that have uh, area of effect or line. Uh, you can kind of dash through enemies, but you pause the game make almost real-time strategy or even Final Fantasy um, non-active time battle things where you set up the moves you want to do, then you let the pause button go and you do those moves. You queue up your moves, which I'm surprised to see in a still indie developer a little bit, even though they work with Warner Brothers, mm -hmm. uh, to see that in a isometric action game, it was refreshing. So I'm really looking forward to the game after what we played. And honestly, like, it could be the most insipid, like, pay-to-win puzzle title. And with that art style and that soundtrack, I just wouldn't care. I would play the fuck out of it. I, I would have no apologies about it. At any rate, it's actually looking great. It's looking like a great game, even though I would apologize to the ends of Earth for it if it was uh, that style. Um, 
We played a little bit of the... Was it the crew? The club? The club. Um, what were your thoughts on that? I, I you, you thought it was a little rough. I just thought it was kind of a, a racing game. It seemed all right. I mean, if it's a really open world thing, then cool, but... Yeah, the crew, it's from Ubisoft. It'll be on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC mm-hmm. when it comes out uh, sometime next year. And we had a little bit of a walkthrough from one of the Ubisoft representatives. She told us uh, the, the kit that we saw was still obviously in development, next-gen hardware. And so it's not fair to judge kind of like the PlayStation 4 stuff that Nick and I saw yesterday. It's not fair to judge everything at this stage because... Um, Drive Club, which is a PlayStation 4 game, still looked a little bit rough. The crew did, too. Uh, but it's a driving game where there are story elements involved and drop-in, drop-out, co-op, and multiplayer. A real big focus on having an entire map of the United States so you could be racing in, for the, the PAX demo at least, you could be racing in Las Vegas and then join a mission structure in Miami New York wasn't available. She, uh, the, the presenter made big... <laughs> I, I feel like there was probably some horrible crash that they <laughs> they figured out after they had gotten there and just like, okay, just don't pick New York. Yeah. Nobody pick New York. Yeah, the, the setup, so for those who might be interested, you um, go to your tablet. So the, the tablet, the app, will be available uh, day one when the game comes out. I believe Android 2, they didn't quite explicitly say that. We were demoing it on iPads, but I imagine just for the market aspect, they'll be on Android 2. So you go to the app, you select the area you want to race, you select your car, you can customize it with decals, colors, rim options, whatever. It's really interactive, absolutely the big second screen gaming trend that we've seen. Uh, graphics on that were really, really good, it seemed yeah. like. Especially on, like, an iPad uh, mini, which is just iPad 2 step back, so that's, like, 2011. Yeah, the iPad graphics look bright, shiny, great, almost one-to-one in some ways from what you'd see in the game, at least for the car models. So you get a real sense of what you're customizing in the app version will be transmitted right to the game when you start playing. So... We did that. I chose a Ford Focus. I really regret that because I had flame paint job on it. See, I, I think I did that too, but I managed to ditch the flame paint job so I didn't seem like a total asshole. Yeah, the presenter, she, she seemed a bit uh, irritated with me when I just kind of skipped through everything. Like, hey, so you guys can customize your... Oh, okay, or you can skip ahead, I guess. So, um, <laughs> so we, we got in, we started playing. Uh, there was... They presented in groups, so Spencer and I and two strangers, we were all a team of four, and for the first four minutes of the demo, we just go around the area we selected. I was up in Colorado, because I hadn't seen anybody else playing that. Most people were in Miami or Las Vegas or something. Colorado was all rally-related, so you could uh, drift through woods, dirt roads. I hit a bear and a couple of uh, moose, moose eye, I don't know if that's the plural, but Moose is the plural, and I don't think they exist in Colorado. I just want to throw that out there. Like, I'm pretty sure Minnesota and Alaska are where they exist. I'm just saying. To, to the makers of the club, you have a native Alaskan giving you some some uh, zoological advice. So, it it was it was okay. It was a driving game. It had objectives. It felt a lot like Forza Horizon a little bit, where there's this 
kind of mission structure, new age sort of, hey, it's not just enough to drive. You've got to have shit to do sort of element. Uh, the only gripe, and Spencer can talk about the rest of the demo with the multiplayer stuff, the only gripe I had is how often, and this could have been the nature of the presentation, how often your driving would get interrupted by a cutscene or some switch to multiplayer or, hey, here's this thing to do. It just felt like too much a little bit from what I saw. But it's still, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a not-released game. It's still in development. Yeah. I mean, it was, I guess it was a little bit busy, but um, I don't know. I thought it was all right. Um, from there, I guess, I guess the whole evening went down or uphill, depending on your perspective. I think we, um, we went and we played a little bit of Portal 2, because there's been a whole level pack for that that I've just been not party to. I didn't know that had come out. And then we met with some of my PAX friends, and that's why we're still kind simply put um, we skipped out on a, a board game that we had scheduled for uh, we were going to play Resistance but I guess I'm going to have to do that tomorrow or even after the show hopefully tomorrow and <laughs> instead we got super hammered and then rolled into PC free, free play insisting to play uh, TF2 right before the show closed and that was the thing that happened. And now, granted, I, on some level, expected something like this. Because I've been to PAX before, and I know that it's very fluid and strange, and weird things can just kind of emerge. But, Aaron, this is your first PAX. This is the first time you've done anything like this. What did what was your reaction? What what did you think as you know suddenly like numbers of shots were bought for us and so <laughs> forth? Uh, I've I've heard of these aspects of packs and conventions, the super insider element of the gaming culture, which I've made a point that I've I'm still kind of new to being isolated a lot. So um, I met a lot of. Uh, inebriated, raucous, loud pieces of shit tonight, and they're all amazing people. Uh, no, I've had a great time. I, I've met a lot of new, interesting, uh, passionate gamers and individuals. Um, all amazing, great conversations that we had tonight, and yeah, some Jaeger and some tequila and, and things came around. So I felt like that was a bit of my... Uh, and, introduction to PAX, that it wasn't official until after the festivities were done. Uh, we got to just get fucked up and have fun with it. Um, and that was good. That was rewarding. It was, it was relaxing to take a break from all of the flash and the marketing to just connect with a bunch of fellow like-minded people. And, and that's really absolutely it. I mean, PAX is, you know, people think of PAX as this new big industry event and to a certain extent it is it's a little bit bigger of an industry event every year but really PAX is so much more than that because it has so many other facets um, the fact that you 
you know, you can, you can go and play myriad games. You can meet all these people. That's why it's exciting, not just because it's a media event. Tomorrow, at least my understanding is, we're going to uh, spend a good amount of time in the indie booth, hoping to check out the Stanley Parable, uh, probably the loadout crew. We were um, implored to do so, but I think, uh, I think it'll be a reasonable move to do. Um, I'd like to check out Audio Surf 2, but my, my big title is Enemy Starfighter. And that's because I'm very much being pandered to by it, but I'm eager to check it out. Aaron, I mean, that's, that's kind of the plan. Uh, do you know, do you have anything else in the indie booth you're looking for? Or are you just eager to, to talk to some indie developers? I'm along for the ride. I'm really eager to talk to these individuals in the indie booth, get to know some people, uh, toss business cards at them, uh, make some connections and have fun with it because the indie developers seem to be a lot more uh, accepting of just casual press, which is kind of what we do. So tomorrow will be a fun day getting to, to meet new people, or today, technically, when you listen to this, because... Well, technically, we're recording it, or whatever. Yeah, and it is 1 a.m., so oh, it, it's we're, we're fucked, so... <laughs> um, that, and then, for the rest of the con, if we don't hit that tomorrow, we didn't do any panels today, at least Spencer and I, so... Uh, tomorrow, maybe some panels, not going to commit to that, but I still at least want to see uh, Pokemon X and Y... Uh, Zelda Link Between Worlds, so a lot of the Nintendo stuff I didn't see, and get hands-on with the Xbox One controller, which has been pretty busy the last two days, uh, and it seems like there's a less chance to play with that controller compared to the PlayStation 4, which just seems to be tossed at you, like you come to the, the convention floor and they just throw one in your face and go, hey, play the PlayStation. So I've got a sense of that controller now, I want to try the Xbox One tomorrow, but really mingle with the indie developers and see what kind of stories we get to hear. And for me, um, after Expo closes, I want to mingle with the people a bit. The same group will probably try to implore me to drink at some point tomorrow, but I'd like to do some just laid-back console or otherwise gaming, talk to some people about why they're at PAX, what PAX, you know, what if they keep coming back, why they keep coming back. And, um... You know, have some conversations to that effect. But for now, we need to get to sleep. If we have any hope of doing all of that tomorrow. Because there's all of tomorrow, and then there's another several hours of packs after that. So, <laughs> from both of us here, Spencer Trotoff, Aaron Thayer, good night, and we will... <laughs> we will oh, pro we'll provide another transmission tomorrow. Good night, everybody, and uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be fucked tomorrow, but thank you for listening. It'll be fine. Hopefully we'll find Nick. We'll have to, we'll bring him back from the, from the death zone. If you've seen Nick, please send us an email. We have a reward, at least a t-shirt, maybe. If you've ever seen Star Trek 3... That's what's going to Can happen. Search for it's the search for Nick now. Search for Nick. Okay. We're we're searching for Nick, and we'll have to. I guess he's going to inhabit your body for a little while until we can get another body for him. It's yeah. fine. All right. Good. Star Trek. Good night.